0: Fathers Who Bother is made possible in part by the contributions of listeners like you. To support Fathers Who Bother, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Fathers Who Bother and become a monthly subscriber today. On the next episode of Fathers Who Bother, I speak with North Carolina MC Superstition, Superstition about becoming a father at the age of 16, why he regrets recording a song about that experience, and why he raises his two biracial children as black. Check it out. What's up, everybody? This is Jerry Barrow. Welcome to Fathers Who Bother. For men who are as dad as we want to be, my next guest is one of the best MCs out of North Carolina I've ever heard in my life. He, oh, was wow. kept, he, he <laughs> has kept my music collection rocking since 2002 with releases like Seven Years of Bad Luck, Chain Letters, The Gold Standard, and most recently, The Sacrifice EP, Where he bears his soul about family life, including being a parent, please welcome superstition to the podcast.
1: Wow, thank you, man. I appreciate that. That That's a hell of an
0: intro, man. (laughs) That's becoming my 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 trademark is good intro is really good intros. But I'm only I've been blessed to talk to people I really feel passionate about passionately about. So it's easy for me to to pick them up because a lot of times, you know, I, I understand my taste musically. You know, veer. You know more more independent and not everybody listening will know but I'm hoping that this 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 is um serving two purposes is, is introducing folks to the talented people as well as you know good fathers you know
1: right indeed, and it's always good to to speak with somebody that kind of just knows your history I, you know a lot of uh interviews, you know um I've had some some great interviews, but I just a lot of interview interviews I've had before, which is why I stopped doing them, because I just felt like they were emotionless. It was just people just reading off questions and they just want to know, hey, what was it like working with so-and-so and blah, blah. And then there's no follow-up questions. And I'm like, oh, this, this nigga just reading off the paper, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man, I go back to my days at the source. My brother, Mr. Mech, shout out, Mr. Mech, mm-hmm. it introduced me to your music. Mr. Mecca mr mecca
1: yes oh yeah shout out mecca yeah oh yeah man
0: yeah he yeah. said you gotta you gotta check out this seven years of bad luck he was talking about you and um cunning linguist as well he yeah
1: was, man you know, tone deaf qn5 all those guys man
0: yep. yeah yeah so i said you know what i'm gonna listen and he hasn't let me down since. you haven't let me down since you know? wow i appreciate chain,
1: that man i, chain letter. That. I remember
0: wow. i remember writing about the gold standard when i was at watch loud mm-hmm. r.i.p watch loud yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know um but yeah man so i'm so glad that you hit me up and that you were feeling what we were doing with the podcast and i keep saying we like you know i have a, i have a team behind me of invisible people but right. i'm pretty much a one-man show <laughs> right, <laughs> um,
1: right. now you know i i like i um said earlier the uh first episode i had ever heard was the one with uh my brother fonte shout out to him Um, uh, and i you know i sat and listened to it then i went back and listened to some of the episodes like with j live and odyssey and just you know different people like that and it's just like wow like this this hits home um and it's crazy because the older i get i start listening to different amount of podcasts like before i used to just listening to you know music podcasts but now you know just being a father and a husband and you know and you know i'm I still working nine to five or whatever so i listen to to different type of podcasts like these i listen, you know et the hip-hop preacher i listen to all type of stuff man like a lot of times these are conversations that you need to hear man you just can't sit back and listen to music podcasts all day or you know music info man
0: exactly exactly So I want to start with, um, you know, my my favorite intro question. When did you first find out that you were going to be a father?
1: (laughs) All right, let this journey begin. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I first became a father at the age of 16 during my junior year in high school. Um, Me and my girlfriend at the time, she was a grown ass 19 year old woman. So, of course, I thought I was just a young dude with game. You know, I had met her the previous year in summer school because we were both, you know, rebellious kids and sucked at school. I think she graduated in summer school, if I'm not mistaken. So, mm. um, you know, back then, you just young, you know, you ignore all the red flags and you start thinking you are in love. She ended up getting <laughs> pregnant. And, uh, you know, I ended up having to make some early choices in life, you know. Um, And it was man, I'll tell you, it, it just felt like. I was terrified. I was mortified. You know what I mean? Um, I just felt like, you know, at school back then I lived in a a small town of Greenville, North Carolina. So there was really only one or two high schools. So everybody in high school just found out like, all right, you know, you're having a kid Mm -hmm. and man, it was just, it was crazy. I just remember, um, I told my, my, my stepfather first and he was like, Oh, you're gonna have to tell your mama. (laughs) So, (laughs) So but the the crazy part about that was that, you know, my mom, I, I told my mom about it and she mentioned like, look, you, you know, you, you're you too young. You're going to have to have an abortion or whatever, you know, situation is with you, you know, you and your girl at the time. And I was completely against it. Uh, one of my biggest reasons was because my mother had also had me in high school. Mm. And my biological father was four years older than her. So mm. she was 17 and I think he was 21. So it was just like a vicious cycle repeating itself. And I can understand where she was coming from at the time mm-hmm. because she know what she went through. My mom had a basketball scholarship to go um, to play basketball in college, but she had me. And so, you know, just her opportunities of just going to college, playing for certain universities, she couldn't do it anymore. She still went and got a scholarship. But had she not had me, you know, things would have been a little bit different. So I think at that time, that's what she was looking at. Um uh, but yeah I was you know I was 16 years uh well, I was 15 when I found out that she was uh you know she she was pregnant but I was 16 when my daughter was born my oldest daughter was born
0: Wow so did you you stayed in school like what did you and your girlfriend at the time how did you guys discuss the planning for the coming of the baby being so young
1: Pretty much with um you know with with me and my girlfriend at the time my daughter's mother uh you know I was I was only 16 years old, and she was a grown ass 19 year old woman. So she was telling me like, look, you're going to have to take care of us. So, you know, I was thinking, look, I'm only working at McDonald's at the time. and still in high school. You know, I just knew it was a lot of pressure as it would be for, you know, any 16 year old. But I just tried to do my best just to take care of, you know, just take care of her, take care of my, you know, my daughter at that time, even when the relationship started to deteriorate. So, you know, and I would never call my daughter a mistake because I love her dearly. But having a child at that time was just such a bad decision. And it, it it affected every part of my life from that day going forward. You know, so
0: how did how did it affect you um, personally? Like, did you have to, what changes happened in your life as a, as a result?
1: Um, your child for one, your childhood is over when you <laughs> when you, uh, mm-hmm. you uh, as a teenage parent, once you, you know, once you have a child, your childhood is over. It it just starts a new life begins for you, you know? And I think, you know, as young parents, we tend to think, you know, yeah, I can take care of a baby. Um, but what you're not thinking about is, is that awkwardness 16 years from now. And now you're trying to give half-ass life advice to someone 16 years younger than you. <laughs> and I, the analogy that I use and people always crack up laughing it was like me having a kid at 16 is literally like Twitter trying to raise Twitter. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a lot of half ass horrible advice from someone who hasn't figured out their own life, but yet you're trying to raise someone else into a respectable person when you haven't figured it out. So that's what being a young parent was. I mean, it was a lot of mistakes. It was a, you know, just, a, it was a lot of pressure just trying to figure it out, man. Well,
0: now Uh, What did your parents do when you decided that you were, you both decided you were going to keep the baby?
1: Um, My mom was just like, look, you're going to, you know, as, as most parents say, they just like, look, you're going to take care of her. You know, we're not going to do anything, which I can tell you right now. Everybody knows that's, you know, that's, that's BS because the, the atmosphere before a child is born is a lot different from the day the baby is born because the day that the baby's born, you know, everybody's loving and they want to do whatever they can, but, I just remember just being very afraid. Like I didn't know what to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, at that time, I mean, you couldn't Google it on the internet. Not at that time, you know, this is back 92 and mm. <laughs> you know, it was like 91, 92, you whatever, man. So, right. uh, it was just one of those things I had to try to figure out. I tried to get enough, you know, advice from my mom, you know, from my stepfather at that time. Um, but you know, it was just, like I said, me and my daughter's mother at that time, we're, we're three years, you know, apart. Um, And being that she was older and I think, you know, overall men we mature a lot, you know, slower than women. Mm. It just created just a big issue, man. And, you know, within a year or so, you know, we were we went our separate ways. Um, And, Mm. you know, it just became a little bit more difficult because after that, you know, my my daughter's mother has, I think, six or seven kids. Mm. But my daughter was her first. Mm. So in a way, I felt like I was kind of being held to a different standard. I had to be that guy, you know? So,
0: right. Right. Wow. So she has, um, six or seven other siblings. With yes. Wow. yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So and, yeah, good. And, and, you know,
1: on my side, um, uh, being that the the situation with having my daughter so young was so traumatic, I didn't have another child until I was with my wife and that was 10 years later. And I have three children and they're all 10 years apart and I have two by my wife. So that situation was so hard, so difficult and so traumatic that I didn't know if I ever wanted to have kids again. You know, wow. like there was a, a, a situation that happened later on down the line. I won't go into too many details or anything like that. But there was just a situation where um, I just felt like, you know, my daughter's mother at that time had made some decisions that jeopardized my daughter's life and her safety Um, and social services came in and took my daughter and all of her siblings away and put them in foster care. So her mom was looking at jail time. In the meantime, I was living in Charlotte at the time with my girlfriend who later became my wife and her family. But their tradition is that you live with the family until you get married. Mm. And I was doing basically doing music. So when social services came in, they're like, nigga, you are unemployed and you don't have a house. (laughs) So that just made it even crazier. So, you know, just being that my mom was stable, she had to be the one to really just kind of step up. And you got to think like. I wasn't even 21 dealing with stuff like this, man. So it was just it became a, a crazy situation, man.
0: So your daughter came to live with you.
1: Yeah, she came to live with me for a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, That was later down the line, because at that time I didn't live in Greenville. I lived in Charlotte, which was like four hours away. I had already moved away, which had already created like just this type of resentment. And I think, you know, a lot of parents could tell you that is that, you know, when you go out and you start, you know, not even say to start a new life, but you decide to go on with your life and you start having kids by, you know, someone else. It's almost like an unspoken competition. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like, well, how am I going to fit into your new life? Is your, you know, is your wife going to like me? Is she going to treat me the same and things like that? So, you know, it just, it it, it was a lot of strain, you know?
0: Yeah. I was going to, how did you navigate that? You're living in your girlfriend's parents' house Mm -hmm. and then your, your daughter from another relationship comes to live with you. How did that work?
1: Right. Well, you know, I would say about my in-laws that they were completely understanding because, you know, my daughter was never, a secret. Mm -hmm. You know, she would, you know, she would come down and visit or we would go visit her and things like that. So, um, you know, she came down, but it was so much, by the time my daughter came to live with me, um, it was almost, I was feeling like I had to undo everything that she had learned, Mm -hmm. you know? So it, it, it just made it a very hard decision. And I'm a different type of parent than I think what her mother was or what she was used to. And as children, we tend to gravitate towards the grown-up or the parent who we feel like would be less aggressive or the ones that expect less out of us. Mm. So I think, you know, just as young people, a lot of times we gravitate towards, uh, you know, just older kids or older adults who don't have a lot of expectations. Like I'm your, but I'm your father. I'm invested in your future and the betterment of yourself. So I'm going to treat you a little bit different. And I don't think she was prepared for that. You know, she, she got that rebellious gene for me <laughs>
0: as a, you know, as a kid, you know? So at 21, where were you, um, artistically at this point going on, everything's happening and where are, have you already started recording at this point or are you just still kind of,
1: yeah, I had, I had started, I was working on just different projects at 21. Um, I don't even at 21, I didn't have an album and I didn't have a record deal because I had started doing music since I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. So I had just moved to Charlotte. I had kind of left pretty much everything behind and started over. Um, because at that time I was signed. Well, actually, I'll take that back. I was signed to an independent label out of Queens, but it was a a bad contract. And so I ended up losing my name. I lost my masters. I lost everything. So I had to basically start over. So which is, you know, I used to be known by blackmail. That's where a lot of people in North Carolina back in the day knew me as. Okay. So I started, I had to restart as superstition to okay. just start everything over just the entire recording process surrounded by different people and things like that. So around that time, um, you know, 21, I was in Charlotte. Um, I didn't know a lot of people. I just, you know, kind of moved there. My one thing that I was doing back then was just kind of battling you know i would go up to radio stations and you know it was power 98 in charlotte it was uh mr incognito he had a a, a weekly show where he would just have people come up and battle and i would just battle online and like just crush people for for <laughs> like two or three months straight until he was just like all right man there's nobody else out there for you so right. but at that time i was just going through it man i was trying to you know i was still trying to figure out life at that time because it it had started earlier for me and, and it wasn't traditional at at all you know but meanwhile at you know in north carolina back then there weren't a lot of popular rappers from north carolina it's completely different from what it is today so me saying that i wanted to be a rapper or be involved in music i could tell you my family friends everybody thought that was a joke they're like okay all right you live in a fantasy world this is never gonna happen for you so you need to get a real job you know Mm -hmm. i think i heard that (laughs) well in my 30s man
0: (laughs) Oh my god. I can believe it. I can believe it. (laughs) So you're you're recording. So how is what's your relationship now with your first with your oldest daughter? What's it what's it like now considering that you like you said have this smaller gap, only sixteen years apart?
1: Well, for us it's, I'll go back to the Twitter analogies. Some, some good days and some bad days, you know, it's a, a lot of drama, you know, like my oldest daughter now is 27 mm-hmm. and she also has three children. So not only am I, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather as well. So that's one thing that a lot of people don't know. So, um, you know, it's one God of those bless. things. She, oh, <laughs> thanks man. Thanks. You know, uh, but I'm grateful for it, you know, but it's one of those things where she's in a point now in her twenties where, she's rebellious and she wants to figure it out. And, you know, as a parent, you got to watch them make their mistakes. You got, sometimes you got to have tough love. You know, they can call you and ask you for money once or twice. Third time you're looking at, all right, we need to figure out the problem. Cause I'm not going to keep paying your bills. I'm not going to keep helping you like this. You got to get it figured out. So it's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's a tough love situation. And like I said, you know, I'm, I'm only 16 years older than her. So, you know, so I, you know, just trying to, you know, she's trying to figure it out, you know, before I was trying to figure it out. But, you know, still love her with all my heart. But sometimes you just got to be tough on them, you know.
0: So what was it like when she came to you the first time? You said she has three. When she's like, dad, you're yeah. about to have a baby. What was going through your head?
1: Man, I was like, damn, this cycle again. For one, <laughs> But, <laughs> but uh, with her, uh, you know, I would say I was surprised. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised. And that's not anything negative to say about her, but she was a very rebellious child. And I think a lot of times when, you know, when you don't have a great situation with both, you know, your mother and father, a lot of times, and I know this from experience, a lot of times you're just looking for somebody to love you. You're looking for something of your own, you know, whether it be a child or just your own independence and things like that. But when she told me, it was just like, wow, you know. Uh, you know, you're going to have to figure this out the same way that I figured it out, you know? And at that time, I think she had dropped out of school and everything like that. So I was like, you've got some some real decisions that you're going to have to make, you know? And you can't blame, you can't blame me, you can't blame your mother. These are things that you're going to have to own up to and you're going to have to live up to,
0: you know? So when did your second child come along?
1: So my second child came along um, after I had met my, you know after I met my, my my current wife, um, we had been together for, I think maybe, maybe like three or four years. Um, but I felt like I was bringing her into such a bad situation because she watched what I went through with, you know, with my daughter, as far as, you know, her going into, you know, temporarily going into foster care. She watched the fights going on with, you know, my daughter's mother and things like that. She even watched like a lot of things that I went through with my, my family even you know my my mother and my, my father and things like that right so i felt almost guilty because before me she had a somewhat peaceful life you know and here i am coming in and i just i didn't want to be that person to to ruin her life and i felt like at the same time i had been you know just and i could i can honestly admit this now i was so emotionally and mentally broken and torn down from that situation that Like I said, I didn't know if I wanted to have another child at that time, Mm. but we had been together for a while and, you know, things that became great. And it was one of those things where, you know, it wasn't a surprise, you know, you know, she came to me one day and was like, you know, I, you know, I'm late. And I was, I thought, you know, at that time there would be just kind of a shock, but I was more happy than anything because I knew just as her, as a person, if I was going to spend my life with anybody, you know, it was going to be her. You know, and I mean, we're still together twenty years later. So nice, nice. so that's when I have we uh, we have my second daughter, Jaden, and uh, you know, it's been great.
0: How do you think that it was just a matter of age and maturity, or did you take what you did, what the experience from your first child with your second, and do you feel like you were a better father the second time, you know, with your second?
1: I definitely uh, believe that, uh, you know, just age and maturity, a different situation. And I, as a parent, I can tell you any second child automatically gets a better treatment than the first child <laughs> because we're trying to figure this out. You can read the what to expect when you're expecting books. You can read it a hundred times right. like they, <laughs> that doesn't cover everything, right. you know. And so I think, you know, with this situation being a lot different, I remember sharing the news with my mother. That, you know, me and my wife at the time were, you know, we were going to have a child and my mother screamed in joy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was a complete There, It was from that last time that I had to tell her when I was 15 years old or 16 years old. So, you know, it was just a complete uh, difference. And I had learned a lot. I had grown a lot over that time in 10 years, man. It's You know, from the time you 16 to 26, you know, huge, you're a completely, yeah. completely yeah. different person, man. So, you know, I just think that situation was a little bit better. And I also, you know, in my life, I learned how to just choose people a little bit different, not even just, you know, just relationships, but friends in general, because, you know, as a teenager, you find random reasons to be friends with people. You know, you like this. I like this, too. Cool. Let's be best friends. You know what I
0: mean?
1: Right. You like hip hop? I love hip hop. Oh, girl, I think I can marry you. Let me tell you something. Like later on, none of that matters. (laughs) I always tell you. Know, I got friends that always say, "Hey, you know, if uh, they find a girl that loves hip hop. Like, man, she's a perfect one." I said, "Look, all that means is that you're going to be listening to the same music as y'all both drive away from divorce court. <laughs> like, it's going to take a little bit more than that." So I, I, used, just think...
0: I used to, I used to subscribe to that too, and you are correct. That you know, we just celebrated our twenty twentieth wedding anniversary,
1: and oh, nice! Congrats! Man. Thank
0: you, thank you. And I tell you, I always tell people after like ten years, I said. You, you, you're with the person in spite of who they are not because of mm-hmm. who they are. the things that right. you the things that you were enamored with in the beginning they change that person changes. this is a very silly example but when we first got married, my wife hated South Park mm-hmm. South Park yeah. she was like, why can you watch this show? It's so juvenile <laughs> So now it's one of her favorite shows mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's just like that's just like a small example of just how people, Part of it was watching it with me, but then she started watching it on her own and just found her own, you know, humor in it. And yeah. so that person that you're with, you know, they might maybe listening to, to Biggie today, but you know, that's not a reason to be in a relationship with them because it'll be something else. they'll they'll they'll, they'll be into something else five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years right. from now. Right. It's gonna be a completely different person.
1: And and you know what I what I truly believe too is that uh, when you find that perfect person or, you know, that person that you feel that's for you, that could be the person that God put in your life. But you've got to kind of stick it out until they become that person. Because like I, when I met, you know, my when I met my wife, I was like, all right, I know she's the one for me. Then when we got together five years later down the line. You know, you, you all start to notice different things because my wife is, she's uh, about three years younger than me. Mm-hmm. So you just look at it and you're like, well, all right, she's perfect, but all right, well, what about this person? They can't manage money or they can't do this. But the thing is, you have to realize sometimes you're putting people's lives to help them. So she had to help me become the man that I was supposed to be, and I had to help her become the woman that she was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when people get together, they just expect, you know, everybody just emotionally be ready for everything. And that's, you know, a lot of times that's not the case. And you and I, you know, both know as as someone that's been with a person for 20 years that, you know, marriages are kind of like uh, just car maintenance. You know, you got to keep fixing those little problems because yeah. every time you jump in the car and you hey, check engine lights on, All right, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> that's that's one problem. That's a small problem. <laughs> Next thing you know, at some point, if you don't fix those small problems, one day you're going to be stranded on the side of the road there's going to be too many problems to fix. And you're going to be like, I got to start this all the way over. And that's what divorce is. (laughs) So it's like, you got to tweak and make those changes. You got to be willing to compromise and different things like that, man. So that's one thing that, you know, I, I had to learn, you know, and you learn a lot about yourself too, because we come into, we come into marriages and parenthood, carrying a lot of just trauma and things that we've, we've dealt with and, or endured our entire life and it it's not always correct. It's not not always the best idea, but you know, it's just one of those things we have to deal with.
0: For sure. Um what was I gonna say? Did you ha- at any point did you channel your experience into your music, your experience as a father specifically?
1: I did. I did. Um if if people would listen to my very first album, Seven Years of Bad Luck, there was a song called Mixed Emotions it's probably the one song of my catalog I ever regret making because at that time that's when I was going through the situation with my oldest daughter's mother. And I just kind of let it all out. It was one of those things. I just, it had to get off my, I had to get it off my chest. I'm just a father figure trying to do the best that I can Because my own daddy couldn't take the pressure from brand. And up to this day, you lost my respect and my pride Soon as I heard the shocking news that your four kid died right. Now either you or your husband, you both know that you lie That's why they locked you up for everything you both tried to hide right. I can't recall the actual date right off the dome All I know my little girl was tossed the throne in the foster home right, right, But what I didn't realize later on was at the time when I recorded that song My daughter was, was super young Uh, one day I remember just driving in the car with my oldest daughter and it was just, just randomly, you know, we were at a stoplight. She looked over and she said, dad, it's like, yeah. She said, why'd you write that song about my mother? And she had tears in her eyes. Mm. So that hit me so hard because what I had to understand was that no matter what someone has done, it doesn't matter. If you look at a situation, just imagine if, I'm a serial killer. I'm the worst person that the public has ever seen. Mm. I'm still someone's father. They're still going to love me. Right. So the I had to, I had to eat that, you know, it hit me hard. It caused a strain on our relationship because now that song's out there. There's nothing. You can't pull that song off. You know, like that's right. one of the reasons why I won't re-release that album, but it's just one of those things where when her mother heard it, I mean, honestly, I ain't give a fuck, <laughs> you know, but when my daughter heard it, it, it was a whole different perspective and I had to sit there and just think about it and and realize, look, words are very powerful. Those words don't go away. You know? Um, I remember talking to somebody one day and uh, this is kind of off topic, but I was talking to somebody and I said, look, you know, you think about just this record, right? I said, you imagine um, how blue Ivy would feel when she's in the club 20 years from now when ether comes on. Mm. (laughs) It's just like, you know, we don't look at, what those words will do to children, you know? So it's one of those things where after that day, I had to become very careful with my words. I realized certain things you can speak on, certain things you can't. And also songs don't solve problems. Mm. You know, they're great for therapy, but at the end of the day, you have to solve those problems. That's what I realized. Um, And, you know, just going forward, as, as you asked about, as far as my children, I think on every album, you know, after that, I always mention my children. I always mention being a father and just dropping little jewels here and there about just things that I learned, you know, throughout the process.
0: Yeah, I was checking out um, the Sacrifice EP and you had Black Cloud. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm too busy raising these babies. They say they, they say the game missed me. So you took a, you you took a little bit of a break between um, projects. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what was going on with those, with the kids during that hiatus.
1: OK, so for me taking a, uh, just a hiatus, man, I will tell you um, in 2015, I did a tour that probably the longest tour I've ever done. It was three months. Mm-hmm. And touring, a lot of people don't realize it can cause a major strain on your family overall mm-hmm. and your relationship with their children. One example, I would say as parents, just imagine we send our kids for one week to to their grandparents' house. When we get our kids back after one week, we feel like they've changed. <laughs> you know, you look at them, you're like, wait. Now imagine you coming back after three months of touring mm. and you've missed three months of your child's life. A lot of times you're going to miss birthdays. I remember being on that last tour. I missed my daughter's birthday for the first time in my life. I remember her getting sick and going to the hospital. I couldn't come home. I remember my aunt passing away during that tour and I still had to keep going.
0: Mm.
1: So we don't really look at the strain that it causes. And also I had to look at it from my wife's perspective because she has been so supportive of me and my dreams since the day that I met her. But I had to look at it and I started feeling selfish because she didn't get a chance to live her dreams because she was so much supporting me. She was putting her life on hold. Mm -hmm. So after that tour, I remember coming home and I was like, look, I'm going to take the money that I made for this tour. I'm going to put you through school whatever you want to do, it is. I'm like, if I have to stay every stay home every day with these kids, I will do it. If I have to put music aside, I will do it. But I need for you to live your life because I started feeling like I was traveling around the world. But at the time my wife was just staying home, taking care of the kids. Mm -hmm. And that's not a great position for anybody to be in Mm -hmm. because I'm coming back home telling her, Hey, I'm telling her all about Paris and all these places I've been. Meanwhile, she hasn't gone anywhere because she's, feeling like she's stuck at home with the kids. So for Sacrifice, that's what that album was about for me was I had to put all of that on hold and allow my family to live. And I had to look at the fact that yes, I have potential at music, but my kids also have potential that's out of this world. So what if my purpose on earth was not to do music, but what if my purpose was to raise the next child or person who could go on to change the world? So, I don't really want to sacrifice that to go on tour and sell a CD to a drunk dude at a show or, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or You know, I'm literally leaving my family to go rap for some random niggas in Iowa. It's just Mm. like, dog, it's not, it's not worth it. And I remember on that tour, missing my daughter's birthday, we were supposed to be in, I think it's Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The show got canceled the day before the show. So I'm away from home. They're having a birthday party for my daughter. I'm not there I'm sitting in a random hotel in a random city and I can't be there to celebrate. Meanwhile, my show's canceled. And I'm like, this is what I sacrificed for my kids. I was like, I never want to experience this feeling again. Mm. It just didn't sit right with me. So for years, for a couple of years, I just put everything on hold. I still worked on music and things like that, but I needed to get to a point where I needed the people around me in my life to feel like they weren't just the supporting cast. Like they were actually a part of it, you know? Right.
0: And so, so you were home and what was that like for you to be not on the road and home? I don't want to make it sound like a home with the kids, but you were home yeah. with your family. That's a very, that's a, an abrupt change for an artist that used, yeah. that's used to living on the
1: road. Man, let me tell you. And, and, and I think a lot of artists can agree with me is that when you're at home and you can't leave to go on a tour, this is when life gets real. Mm. Like you have to deal with everything because if you got some badass kids, or you got a relationship that's not going well, being on tour could be like heaven. Mm. You leave all that, you leave all of it behind. Or you know something's coming up. You're like, look, I'm about to be gone for a month. You gonna have to deal with this. Mm. So now every day, I came home because there were no more tours. There were no more, you know, there were music opportunities, but, you know, there were far and few because, you know, if you're not out there and, you know, the awareness goes down, the business slows down. So every day I came home, I had to face my problems. You know, it was um, ever since I was in my early 20s or maybe before that, I had dealt with just depression from just a lot, just holding a lot of things in, Mm. just a lot of traumatic experiences. So I had to learn how to deal with that. And I had to learn how to, you know, just to heal from a lot of this. So now I had to learn how to be that father that was there every day. You had to help with the homework. You know, my wife's in school or now she's working. So now I got to be that father that that cooks now. You know what I'm saying? Like I had to do everything that it took and I needed it because I had I needed to be humble. You know, leaving music was for myself, but also for my family. I needed my sanity back. I needed to be humbled. I had to become I had become everything that I hated about the music business just the dishonesty, the arrogance, the false feeling of self-importance, you know, just all of it. Like that's something that I had to shed. So now I went back, I went to work and I, you know, I had a job in engineering and, you know, which is what I currently do at the time. Mm -hmm. But when I was working, I never told anybody that I did music because I wanted to be treated fairly. I didn't want anybody to look at me as superstition, I didn't want anybody to judge me or treat me based on any accomplishments that I've ever done in life. I wanted to start all the way over and see how people really and truly treat you. And that is going to be a lesson that a lot of artists are going to, they're going to really struggle with. Like nobody cares if you've done a song with their rap heroes. (laughs) You go, you go to work. A lot of them people don't even listen to it. I, I can tell them, Hey, I did a song with, you know, RZA. They'd be like, all right, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But this is what your job is today, <laughs> you know. So, it's just one of those things. I had to do it just to humble myself, man. And doing that improved just overall. It improved my my family life. It improved my relationship with my kids. It improved relationship with friends. And you really get to see who's in your corner. You know, everybody's calling, everybody's texting when when you're popping. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think my man Blueprint, uh, he said this when we were on tour. He's like, "Hey, activity, is sexy." Like when you, you know, it's not that people are fake, but when they see you doing things, you're on their mind a lot more. So now everybody's hitting you up. It's true. There's going to come a point where all of that's going to slow down and you have to realize like, all right. So before you can imagine if you have your family telling you, all right, look, you know, you're spiraling out of control or you're arrogant. You're not taking care of this. You're not doing that. But meanwhile, you log on your social media and you got 20,000 people telling you that you're you're God's gift, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's a conflict that you had. That's an inner struggle that you're going to have to deal with. And when you remove that, all those fans and all those people that that love you for all your accomplishments. And now you have to deal with your family, the people who don't they don't give a shit who you've done a song with. You know, it it brings you back to earth and it humbles you, man. And that's what I needed.
0: So your your oldest daughter clearly was listening to your music. What about your your second and third?
1: No, nah, they don't listen to <laughs> so uh, my, my my middle child. She's 17, and my youngest son is seven. My middle child, she doesn't listen to a lot of hip hop, mm-hmm. um, because at the time there was, there there was really no age appropriate hip hop. I felt for mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, just imagine if you got a 13 year old like there. There's no generation gap with music. 13 year olds are going to listen to what 30 and 40 year olds listen to. You Mm. know what I mean? Like, and I never thought that was healthy. I never thought I should be wearing the same clothes as my son. I should not be listening to the same music as my son. Now, if he wants to listen to what I listen to, that's completely fine, but there's no way I should be sitting there listening to the same thing that he's listening to. (laughs) So, (laughs) so with my daughter, I think she listens to a lot of K-pop, you know, because she, you know, my, my youngest kids are black and Asian. So, you know, they were raised around my Southern family, but they were also raised around my wife's family. And she's from Laos, like Southeast Asian. So mm-hmm. they get a little bit of, of both of those. So I think, you know, at the same time, they're influenced by, by both of them. My son, he's seven. He doesn't really music. He's not really into music like that. Um, he eats more video games and things like that. But my, uh, my middle child, she, you know, she listens to pop and, you know, music like that. My oldest child She's into that gangster shit. (laughs) Straight up. She's into the gangster shit. I would, I would log on some days and I look online. I'm like, man, she got a gold grill in her mouth right now, man. Like she got tats and and everything, you know, just the complete opposite. But the thing is, it's, you know, uh, having kids is like a slot machine, man. You pull it, you know, you pull that lever back, you just don't know what you're gonna get. Everything could be different, man. So.
0: I know. So when did your son? Your son is a, he's a seven. So yes, he's seven. This was like 2013 ish. Yes, roughly. Yes. So what was that like when you found out you were going to be having him?
1: Um, it was amazing, man. Um, I, you know, even before that, so I, I would touch on this, and this is something that I probably I don't think I've ever spoke about this publicly, but um, so after my, you know, my second daughter, me and my wife, we wanted to have you know, we wanted to have another kid, but we just, we kept trying and trying. I mean, years and you know, we didn't, you know, no kids ever came. And then finally one day she had gotten pregnant. Now one day she had gotten really sick and we went to the hospital and, um, you know, of course they go in and they give her a pregnancy test. And then we find out that she's pregnant, but uh, I forgot the term that what they called it, but it was basically like she was pregnant, but she was, no matter what, she was going to lose the baby. Mm. So we was went in. That, that ectopic? Was that's that what that, it was, was ectopic. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, we found out about that and it was like we were happy and then hours later we were crushed. Mm. So they were basically like, you got to go home and basically just wait for her to lose the baby. You know, you just go on and just carry on with your day. And I remember she was, in the bathroom. I think she was in the shower or whatever and just, just bleeding. And I just remember her just crying and, you know, it's just one of those things where you just feel helpless, man. Mm. So after that, mm. um, I, 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 mean, I wanted another child, but at the same time, I never wanted her, her to have to go through that again.
0: Of course. You know?
1: So, um, I remember it was on father's day. Um, she came in and, you know, uh, we woke up, and she was sitting over me, and she's like, "Happy Father's Day." I was like, "Oh, thank you, thank you." She was like, "No, Happy Father's Day." I'm like, <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Like, she was like, "We're having a baby," and she showed me the pregnancy test. And I was, I was, man, I was blown away. Oh, I was ecstatic, man. Um, and it was different too because, like, you know, at this time now, I, you know, I'm working, so this is probably the first child where we actually have insurance. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> So, this pregnancy is going to be popping. Like, this is going to be the luxury pregnancy. So, <laughs> we're going to have all the epidurals. We're going to have right, all the
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Like, right. We're not going to no clinics. Like, we're going to the doctor's office and all this. Like, you know, it was, just, I'm at a completely different point in life. And I'm just like, man, with my son, it's like now we can afford to have, you know, we can afford to have children. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I remember her telling me, and we didn't know, like, for my, my um my middle child Jaden, my first child with my wife, we didn't know what we were gonna have. We didn't know if she was gonna be a boy or a girl, so that's why we chose the name Jaden because you know it's kind of a, just a unisex name. Nice. So um, with my son, I was like, look, we gotta find out. So we found out, and I already assumed since I had two girls, I was just gonna have another girl. But you know, she, you know, we went through and did the whole whole process and found out there was gonna be a boy and. I was just blown away, you know, just pick, pick the name. Like, all right, his name is going to be Kingston, you know, this and that, like, you know, it's Kingston is going to be strong, like the lion and, you know, Jamaican lion, everything. So, and I remember uh, my son, you know, years later, my son was like, yeah, you know, we, you know, I said, you know, we named you Kingston, you know, because of just the just the Jamaican culture and it's always the lion and that's the capital of Jamaica. He was like, dad, I don't even like lions. I like tigers. <laughs> <I'm just> like <laughs> So, so it's it's one of those things man you try to you try to plan it out with your kids but they do what they want man but you know my sons you know he, he's incredible um my daughter my you know my my middle child Jaden, she's academically gifted um I, I told her just straight up she would bring her report cards home and a grade would be like 103 i was like yo i'm gonna be honest i ain't know the shit could go that high because <laughs> i never got because <laughs> i was never nowhere close to getting 100 in any class i don't care if it was p.e but she would come home with like 103 in science. I'm like, yo, how is this possible, man? Like what's going on? She oh, like, She was I did
0: the extra credit. So, yup. That extra credit boy. Yeah, Ooh.
1: man. So like, you know, she's a senior this year. So right now we're just, you know, we're looking at where she's going to go to school and things like that. And just trying to adjust. Cause it's not the, you know, especially with COVID going on, it's not the, the traditional situation or whatever. At all.
0: So, yeah. So. At all. Yeah. My son just started his freshman year in college and, He's only going to campus one day a week he's going locally um, okay so he's doing distance learning for the most part mm-hmm. and goes to campus one day a week my daughter she's in middle school so she's she's at home um, okay we didn't want to send her in because the school the schools she goes to is very good but mm-hmm. it's not the schools it's the parents I don't trust <laughs> everybody right. has right. their mm-hmm. own idea of what protection is and what in following covid rules and you know, kids with the mask and stuff. I said, no, no, you're staying home.
1: <laughs> right, and, and that's the same decision that we made, like all our kids are doing digital learning mm-hmm. because I, you know, I, I wasn't so much worried about my daughter, even though she's in high school. It's more my son mm-hmm. because I remember every year prior to this, uh, since he's been in school, he'd always come home with a cold, just being sick. I mean, just all type of things, just bringing something home. And, you know, once you get a... You get a sickness from a child, man. It's like you got the plague or something, man. It's not yeah. a traditional cold. like you get sicker than you've ever been.
0: So <laughs> I'm laughing like, because it's true. I've been yeah, I, you know, we had to stop doing the kids' birthday parties at one point because we, we would go to a birthday party and we they wouldn't get sick, but we would get sick and it would be right. like a stomach bug.
1: Because yeah. They, they're
0: sharing the toys and the spit swapping all over the place. Yeah. And then I go home and and I'm earling all over the place. I'm like, what the hell?
1: Right. Kid? Yeah. My son come home and he he's throwing up. I get it. A week later, I'm in the ER. They're like, "Damn, what's wrong with you, dog?" Like, that. <laughs> so it's completely different. But since you know, since they've been at home, nobody has had so much as a cold. So right. it's almost it's a it's a great decision. I mean, you know, everybody has their their feelings on as far as COVID and things like that. But for us, it was very difficult being that my daughter was. You know, that she's a senior, so we like, look, we want her to walk. And she was like, Dad, I want to experience my senior year of high school. This is what I've always waited for. But I had to tell her, look, if, if with COVID out here, you might not even survive your senior year. So, mm. you know, our main thing is to get you to the finish line. However, we have to do that. I'm completely on board for it. So, and you know, with me, I have severe, I have like chronic asthma. My son has asthma. So we just we can't risk it. Yeah, you know, yeah, we can't risk it. So, and then my wife, you know, just going through what she had went through. You Remember uh, last year, she went through her cancer. Mm. She she had breast cancer, so it's just things like that. Like you, a lot of things come into play, and you see things a lot different when you go through experiences like that. So we just made the choice just to keep the kids home. So
0: I hear you. Um, you mentioned earlier your stepfather and you know his re- reaction to you having your first. Um, what was, did you know your biological father? What was your relationship like with him?
1: Man. So my biological father, um, I have very few memories of him, Mm -hmm. uh, being that I was so young. The one thing that I, I remember at that time was that my mom dropping him off at a bus station and he was going to visit his mom in New Jersey. And I don't think I ever saw him again until I became a teenager. So I remember getting a mm. phone call from my mom one day. Um, well, actually, I remember s- we were at a grocery store, and my mom just casually said it. Like my dad walked out, and she's like, "There's your daddy right there." And I'm like, first of all, I ain't never seen him <laughs> enough to remember him." So I remember we were in a piggly wiggly grocery parking lot, and I just see all these people walking out. She's like, "There go your daddy right there." And she just looked away. I'm like, "Which one? Which one?" She she didn't pay it any mind. So. A few months, I would say a few months later, I got a call and my mom's like, your dad's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. And at that time, I'm a teenager. I'm just like, what did this nigga want? Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because I had spent most of my life telling my stepfather, like, yo, you ain't my daddy, blah, 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 this and that. Not Mm. realizing that he was much greater than what my biological father could have ever been. Mm. So my biological father gave me a call. He was like, look, I want to see you. I want to meet you. And... My mom was like, you know, what do you feel? How do you feel about that? And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So I remember him picking me up. And then this is a, a experience because I'm actually working on a book right now. And this is a I go into detail on this, but I remember he picked me up and he was like, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, what's going on? He was like, you hungry? I was like, yeah, yeah. So I remember us I pulling up in the McDonald's drive through and he was like, well, what, what you want? What you want to order? And so I gave him my order. We pulled up to the window for the money and he looked over me like, nigga, you paying for this shit. Uh, I was like, yo, I was like, yo, bruh, when I tell you, like, that was the first part of the heartbreak, because I was like, yo, I haven't seen this man in who knows how long. He doesn't even have enough money or enough decency to buy a meal for his kid. He never had to pay a day of child support. So I gave him the money because my mom gave me money or whatever. So And he was like, all right, I'm gonna take you over to, uh, you know, my family's house. So, which was his mom. He wasn't married at the time or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I remember pulling up in the, uh, you know, in the driveway and in my head, I, I got all these scenarios, like, you know, just how TV shit goes. Everybody like, Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, we missed you, man. When I tell you, I walked in that house, they looked at me and they're like, what's up? I'm like, okay. And he introduced me to this family. He goes, yeah, this is my son, uh, you know, my because my real name is Camarfield. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is my real son, Camarfield. And they was like, nigga, that ain't your son. I'm like, what? So, man, when I tell you probably the biggest heartbreak I ever had in my life was probably that situation, because I realized that either I had been a secret to his family or not a lot of people knew about me. Mm. And I sat there and I think I sat there for an hour and then I just came up to him. I was like, look, yo, just take me home. He was like, wow, what's wrong? You good? I was like, bro, I'm I'm good. So he ended up taking me home, dropping me off. My mom was like, you back already? I'm like, yeah. Mm. And I never even told my mom what happened until probably like a year later. Mm. But I remember him calling after that was like, I want to see you. And I told my mom straight up, y'all never want to see him again. She was like, that's, she said, that's a decision that, it, if that's how you feel, then that's completely fine. Mm. But at the time, you know, I had known my stepfather since I was six or seven years old Mm -hmm. and outside of my grandfather, he was the only father that I had ever known. So like I said, there was a reluctance at first because I was on some shit like, well, you're my daddy. You can't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that this man took care of me better than anybody could have ever done. My stepfather is the reason why I love music He's the reason I act and speak the way I do while I like certain sports teams, while I love music. He shaped and molded me into a man. And we are so me and my stepfather are so much alike that my wife always jokes. She was like, I don't know how he's not your real dad. <laughs> y'all, act, y'all act the same. Y'all talk the same and everything. And me and my stepfather, you know, we're just as close, if not closer than what me and my mom are. You know, mm. like he he's just a great man, just a great human being. I learned about, you know, just I watched him make mistakes as a father and as a husband and things like that. And I watched him bounce back. I watched how he treated my mother because he never tried to treat my mother as if he was greater than her or that she had to be, you know. um, What's the word I'm looking for? She never had to. She never had to. She never had to be obedient to him. Mm. They walk Mm. side by side. You know what I mean? Right. And so that going into that and seeing that relationship and they've been together ever since I, you know, the first day I met my stepfather. And so being that situation, seeing that situation and then seeing my wife's parents who have been together their entire life, mm. that gave me a different perspective on marriage on fatherhood on everything. So, you know,
0: what did you observe with your wife's parents did? That-
1: So with my wife's parents, like I said, they're both from Laos. Mm -hmm. um, Their tradition is different because whatever dad says goes, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But I do remember, you know, growing up in a black household, um, my mother would work a certain shift and my stepfather would work a certain shift. Mm -hmm. So just say my stepfather might work first shift to three o'clock. And then my mom had to be to work at three thirty or four o'clock. So by the time I got home from school, um, you know, dinner would be there, but both of my parents wouldn't be there. Mm. I would literally not see both of my parents unless it was really early in the morning or late at night or on weekends. I would never see them at the same time. Mm. So we would rarely eat together because they were, they were, you know, they were black. They were trying to survive and do everything they that they had, you know, but with my wife's family, um, I noticed they always ate together. Mm. It was certain traditions that they, you know. As African-Americans, a lot of time, we kind of create our own traditions. There's not a lot of traditions that we're passed down unless we really know where that we're from, right. you know. So I remember <laughs> I remember I was out somewhere and I told my my wife at the time we were going to eat with her parents. I was like, look, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be there about five o'clock or whatever. She was like, all right, cool. So I think I got... I ended up going to like a, a record store or something like that, just chilling, man. I was out chilling, man. It was like six thirty when I pulled up. I'm I walk in the house, everybody's pissed because nobody has eaten, and she's like, "We've been waiting for you." I'm Ooh. like, <laughs> "Black household." I'm like, "If niggas is hungry, niggas need to eat." <laughs> That's me being just the uncultured, ignorant brother that I was. Oh, wow. She was like, you do not understand. We eat together. We pray together. We do all of this together. And, you know, at the time, I'm still just clueless, man. <laughs> just clueless, like, I don't understand why these niggas didn't eat. Like, <laughs> so it was, it was one of those things where I had to learn. And also hearing the story of how uh, my wife's parents, like, they came here. They escaped from a communist country. They came here and basically got sponsored to live here. Um, you know, they were Buddhist, but, you know, Christians brought them here. So they had to go to church. It was certain things that I started to see. And I saw how just the treatment of how they treated their kids because they came from another country. It's it's do or die. Like, look, we came here for a reason. And this is what you have to do. This is what you're going to do. But on the flip side of that, you know, my parents were kind of very relaxed That's how I ended up having a kid at at 16 or or 15, you know, like her dad, if I came over to visit her, it didn't matter if she was 20 years old. If, if we we weren't married, her dad's not leaving the room. You're not taking a guy in your room. But when I was 15, I would bring a girl over and my dad would be home and he'd be like, Hey, do what you got to do. I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going to the gym, you know? So it's a completely different lifestyle based on what I grew up with and my wife's family. So, you know, being that we're from two different places, two different religions, two different cultures. We had to find a common ground. And as far as just, you know, the interracial thing never really bothered me because who you love is who you love, you know, at the end of the day, right. you know what I'm saying? Because I, I was married prior to meeting my wife, you know, like my baby mom is black. My first wife is black. So it's like, to me, love is love, mm-hmm. but there's a a big difference. There's a big cultural difference. You know, like in my my wife's family, her culture is that she has an older brother, but I'm still older than her older brother. Oh, so. But in their culture, the if it's her older brother, then he's my older brother. So this guy's trying to tell me what to do and how to live. And I'm just like, oh, no, no, this is this not how this works, dog. Like, <laughs> Interesting.
0: Or, Interesting.
1: Or the just the, the, the dynamic is that. You know, when we turn 18 or 21 in a black family, we're taught you got to go out, get a job, get your own crib, do what you have to do. But for my wife's family. You basically live with them. And then once you get married, you continue to live with them until you you basically save up enough money to get your own house Mm -hmm. and get your own place. Mm -hmm. So for her family, me living with them was fine. Right. But on the flip side, my family's looking at me like, why are you living with these people? You need to have your own stuff. You know, so it's kind of a clash of cultures. You know, one one family looking at me like, you know, I'm doing great. And the other one's looking at me like, man, he over there freeloading or something like that. So, (laughs) (laughs) So it's a lot of just lessons that I learned just culturally and just from looking at the dynamic of her family and then looking at my family. And it's it's something that we apply to our own household and things like that, too. So we got to kind of just find a, a middle ground.
0: I was going to ask, how do you go about melding the cultures when it comes to raising your your kids? Like, how much do you pull from your your wife's and how much do you pull from, from your experience?
1: Uh, Well, first and foremost, as you know, I raise my kids as black kids and my wife is completely on board with that because she knows when they go out in public, that's what the world is going to look at them as. So, you know, I have to give them that knowledge, teach them how to be cautious, teach them how to survive in this crazy world. Because regardless, if you, you know, uh, I remember when my daughter, you know, when my uh, daughter was born, my, my middle child was born, uh, my first child with my wife. She would go around my wife's family and they would call her in Laotian, they would call her Edom Noi. And. I had to figure out what the hell that meant. And that meant little black girl. And once I found that out, I was like, Hey, mm. this is not what we're doing. You, you, no, she's not going to have a nickname. Her name is Jaden. That's what it's going to be. Mm. So it's just certain things like, you know what I mean? Certain thing. And I could, you know, I don't fluently speak Laotian, but I know enough not to get me killed. So it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where you got to kind of, you know, teach your kids, certain things we deal with, certain things we don't tolerate. As mm. far as religion, we can go, we go to church and we go to the temple as well because my family taught me, well, you know, if you're not Christian, you're going to hell. You, because my grandfather was a, a a minister, a preacher, and about six or seven of my mom's siblings are, are preachers and pastors. So, wow. Um, yeah. So I come from a very Christian background, but it never posed a problem with me and my wife being together. Mm. And so we're able to look at different things and And understand that people are from different walks of life. People have different, you know, just preferences. People have different choices that we have. And we're completely open and we're honest with our kids. So it's like, look, if, you know, my, um, you know, if my daughter or my son comes to me one day and say, look, I identify as this or this is, you know, this is who I am. Then we're completely on board with that. As long as you're not out killing niggas, (laughs) as long as you're not out (laughs) doing the worst I'm completely fine with that. Right. Because and that's another reason why, you know, we you know, I grew up in a small town in Greenville. She grew up in Charlotte. Charlotte's a lot bigger than Greenville, a lot bigger of a melting pot. But that's a, a big reason why we wanted to move here. Mm. We moved to Atlanta. Nobody does a double take when they see me out with a mixed family, you know. Right. So it's just one of those things, man. Wow. That's. Ooh. I told you it wasn't going to be traditional. <laughs> no, <Nah, laughs> I, I get it. It's far
0: from traditional, bro. Nah, I get it. Now, there are a lot of things I took for granted, you know, because my wife and I, my, we both have West Indian parents, both raised mm-hmm. Catholic. So there were those things that we didn't have to really negotiate um, right, right. when we got together because we kind of were raised with similar values. Her, She's Haitian, my mother's from Grenada, my father's from Guyana. So Okay. It was that shared, you know, immigrant experience, and okay, you know, we 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 found that we had more in common than not in terms of like you know certain dishes. Yeah, they'll call it one thing; we'll call it another. It's the same thing, <laughs> you know. So that was the that was the, the the most we ever had to deal with. So what you're what you're um, dis- discussing is is a, is the next level. There's always some blending of culture, no matter what, but you know that's that's the next level
1: yeah and it, and it is man it's like you know a lot of people have to realize it like when you uh when you marry someone of a, a, a different culture you have to think this is going to be a lifestyle that you're going to have to respect you know I mean you don't want to be that person that just all right you welcome to my world you know you we no longer in your world it doesn't work that way you know just so a lot of things that Uh, You know, her parents, (laughs) the funniest, I'll tell you this story. So here's the difference between like, you know, black family and, and, you know, just the Asian family or Southeast Asian family, at least my my wife's parents. So I remember we got our very first apartment and, you know, they didn't kick in any money. We paid for everything ourselves. Right. So I, you know, her parents come in. I'm like, Hey, you know, Hey mom, Hey dad, how you doing? And, you know, so I go back in the back room, which I had as my office at that time. So I'm in the back room and I hear furniture moving and I'm just like, man, what, what's going on? I'm just carried on. I start hearing more furniture moving like couches. Yo, I walk out and (laughs) my father-in-law has told my wife, he don't like the way that we have our living room set up and we need to move everything around. I walked out there. I was like, dog, I flipped. (laughs) I was like, yo, you ain't pay for nothing. Right. It's just on this. I don't give a damn if you can't see the TV. You better sit on top of that motherfucker like <laughs> <laughs> So it's what and she was just like, no, nah, no, nah, calm down, calm down. You know what I'm saying? Cause in in her family, in her her family, her tradition, mm. dad is always right. You always cater to dad. Mm. When they go out to eat, dad chooses the place that they go. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So it's one of those things where he's constantly, you know, when he comes home, like her mother doesn't, you know, don't work. So when her dad comes home, the meals have to be fixed and and different things like that. So it's just it's just so much that I've learned. You know what I mean? And, you know, I respect it. Some things will fly in our house and some things won't fly in our house. But you have to respect that. That's what certain people come from. So and my wife, her sense of family is the same as her family. You know, she wants us always to eat together and try all these different things, because being with her just kind of opened up my mind to different things because I wouldn't have tried a lot of different things. And I think, you know, a lot of times, too, with, you know, just just the black experience is that a lot of times we're not exposed to certain things. So we don't know if we're good at something. We don't know if we like it. Like if you can imagine the amount of, of black children that would probably be incredible at hockey, mm-hmm. but they're not exposed to hockey. It's not just a part of our culture. So you got to think a lot of people are, are just missing their calling. so with our kids, we try to just experience different things and just make sure that. You know, they they just you know just have a little bit of opportunities. You know, my daughters try different things, guitar, different things like that. It's like, all right, well, this is for you, this is not for you. You know what I mean? And now, like with her, she's doing video editing, which is what she wants to have a a career at. And you know, we're completely a hundred percent behind her. You know,
0: good, good, good. So, how did your first marriage prepare you for this marriage, the one you're in now? Man,
1: <laughs> so my my first marriage was after you know my my oldest daughter's mother. Um, I was probably like 19 at that time. Um, I ended up meeting a a girl that I was working with at the time we ended up hitting it off. Um, had a relationship for, I think maybe one or two years. And then I think this was the year after I graduated. I think, yeah, this is the year after I graduated from high school and she was a senior in high school. Hmm. So, After she graduated from high school, she was going to the military. Mm. And so that to me, that was an experience within itself because she had to go to basic training. And then she found out the first place that she was going to get stationed was in Korea. So now I'm with somebody that I'm planning to, to be with and marry. But now she's going to Korea for a year. Wow. So, yeah. So now I have to wait a year for her to come back to Korea. And this is when long distance was long distance Hell, like,
0: no, no <laughs> facebook no
1: iphone no right you remember that she was like 35 cents a minute oh. you know? <laughs> so I, I you know i had to you know i had to deal with that she had to deal with that and those last couple months um she came home the last couple months we kind of lost touch and then one day i remember my mom uh you know telling me hey like her, her name was stacy she was like hey stacy's here." And I was like, cool. So I went to the door. <laughs> Stacy shows up at the door pregnant. And I'm like, yo, I'm like, <laughs> bruh, like, man. I mean, my heart dropped to the floor, man. But it's 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 a choice that I had made. But being young and stupid, you know, she uh she, you know, basically she she aborted the child. And I told her, look, whatever you choose is up to you. And then I think a year later, we actually ended up getting married. And such a terrible decision by me. You know what I'm saying? And and that's the difference between me now and me back then. Back then, I would have probably blamed it all on her, but you only, people do what you allow, you know, they only do to you what, you know, what you allow them to do. Mm-hmm. And so with with her, she came back from the military. And if anybody knows has been in the military, like a lot of times the military can change you. Mm-hmm. You can go from a sweet person to being conditioned if you let it. Right. So I think- that played a, a major part in our, our downfall and our, you know, just our divorce because at the time I was still chasing rap dreams and, you know, she's getting up every day. We lived on Fort Bragg. Mm. She'd get up every day going, you know, doing everything she needed to do. Meanwhile, I'm struggling. We living in Fort Bragg and Fayetteville. I'm trying to tr- find a job. I'm trying to basically, you know, just tr- chase this music thing. And she's like, look, this, this can't happen, you know? And, you know, I was just going through a very, just heavy depression at that time. I was just, a real weak-minded person, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like she could, she could say things, just break me down back then. And you know, it's just something I, you know, I can admit to that now, but that's how you grow. And that's how you learn. A lot of dudes won't even admit that. Mm. So at the end of the day, man, it just, it became just such a, a, just a terrible volatile situation that we both had to walk away from, man. Mm. So, and what I learned from that was that, you know, a lot of times when you're choosing people, to to be with and, and and be married to, there's certain things that you have to look for. You can't ignore red flags. I remember right before I got married, my first, uh, you know, first time I got married, my best friend, Eric Hood, he, you know, he was, he was the best man at my wedding. He was like, yo, you ready? And I remember on the day of the ceremony, he was like, you ready? And I was just like, bro, it's whatever. He was like, really? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> he knew from then that, you know, it wasn't going to work. that's oh, not a ringing
0: endorsement. <laughs> right. right,
1: because I felt like all right, I've already had a kid at 16. Mm. I spent a couple years with, you know, my daughter's mother, and, and it's just like at some point my family's telling me like, look, at some point you got to get this shit together. Mm. And so I felt like getting married because that's the dream we're sold. We're so you know, you get married, live happily ever after. Right. So I'm thinking, all right, this is my only choice, man. We got to do this. You know, I've went this far. I've already asked her to marry me. Can't change now. All this money has been spent on the wedding and on our futures. And sure enough, I went through with it, man. It was just just a terrible choice that I made. And then I realized, you know, when I met my wife, it's I knew what to look for. I knew certain things to look for. Mm. I, you know, I remember um, my first wife telling me, I remember when I got my first 12-inch in um my 12-inch vinyl and I showed it to her, and she just looked like mm. and she literally said word for word, like you cool, but you never be nice. Like, yeah, as a rap nigga. <laughs> <are> you... <laughs> and let me tell you, as a as a rap nigga, ladies, if you wanna say something to your man, compare him to somebody else and tell him what he ain't gonna be. Like that cut like a knife, man. So
0: oh, no I, that was a street yeah. <laughs> fighter, dragon punch. She hits you with the, 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 the turbo combo right there. Right. But, but, <laughs> and that's
1: and that's what I go back to. I'm saying certain things, certain people know how to get under your skin and say certain things. So I think me being in that relationship with her just being able to say crazy shit to me. You know, and I hate to give her credit, but it made me a better battle MC because you learn you learn how to defend yourself and say all type of shit. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So when I got it, when I got with my wife, you know, who, who later became my wife, my second wife, who I'm with now. It was crazy because I had to learn how to cut back on my words because she would always say, I'd hate to argue with you because you're a battle MC. You can say some things that are way out of line and way out of pocket. But to me it was a defense meca- mechanism that I had been through in my first marriage. You know, mm. she mouth off, I mouth off, you know, just going back and forth or whatever like that. So it's, I had to unlearn a lot of things. I had to just adjust and realize like certain things you can't do. Every person is different. You know, like somebody could tell you, like I could go in and t- we, you know, we've been together t- for 20 years. I could tell somebody what will work for us. Right. But then they'll take it home and try to apply it to their situation it and it work. doesn't work. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Nope. So that's one of the things you got to you got to learn. And even with your children, it's, it's different because, you know, your child, you know, which child you can say what to, you know, some chat, some children, you know that. All right. You know, this one's a little bit more sensitive. I got to choose the way that I talk to this person or this is a little bit different. I think you you have a lot of problems as a parent when you just assume you can talk to all your children the same way and it doesn't bother them because later on they're going to have some experiences in life you know especially as a dad uh, as a dad raising a daughter like you don't want to say no crazy shit because you don't want to be the reason she end up on the pole like (laughs) you know you don't want to be the reason she has daddy issues later on down the line because you said one thing that she just never let go man so Mm -hmm. you know like I said man it's you know it's it's a process man just marriage fatherhood all of this is a process and i'm still learning to this day but i can tell you i'm a lot better at it now than than i've ever been and i would always joke with my wife and say yo like i i, I successfully been with you for 20 years but i've been somewhat successful in music and I was like, nobody ever asked me about family. <laughs> everybody, everybody asked me about music, the shit that I, you know, technically some people I haven't been successful in, but you know, that's why I found this interview great. Cause it's like, look, the one thing I've been successful in, you know, that's, you know, that's took
0: some bumps and bruises, man. That's really why I started it too, because I felt like, you know, I've been, I have been, had been mulling over the idea of a podcast for years. Like, what's the one thing that not only did I felt confident talking about, but that I wouldn't get bored or lose interest mm-hmm. in. And being a father is the one thing I could talk about with folks all day long because there's just something different happening every day and the kids are constantly growing and s- something constantly new to learn. Um, and
1: that's you know, that's amazing too because you know you put parents in a room, you could put parents in a room that's never met with each other. And when they start discussing their kids and what they're going through, oh yeah, like man, it's it's man, you could be there for days. So <laughs> it's just like you never gonna run out of content. like you never gonna run out of content bro
0: yeah so wrapping bringing things to a close we're about to hit the first holiday season of covid (laughs) Mm, how are you how are you um preparing to to tackle halloween thanksgiving and christmas given the 2020 we've had (laughs) um so what we've realized too is
1: um and we've we've done this for birthdays too because my daughter's birthday was in um was in july mm. uh, oh what, what at, day you know uh july ninth.
0: okay she's a little after yeah. mine i'm the 18th yeah yeah
1: so um so we had to realize all right this is not traditional because another thing with my in-laws is they throw huge parties mm. so they would say hey you know you can throw a birthday party at our house just a little small one but there'll be 100 people there mm. so You know, I had to tell my daughter, like, look, we can't do that right now. So what we did was just decorate the house, you know, just as if we were going to have a birthday party. And we're like, look, you can order food from any place you want. We'll go pick it up. We'll spend an entire day together. So I think with all this COVID stuff going on, a lot of times now. It's going to be a little bit different, but you can still celebrate in in a way that's not our traditional way. Uh, so for Halloween this year, because we know the kids love Halloween, like we have my uh, my homie's friend Bamboo, we would always take them, uh, take the kids out and they would all go trick or treating together. So this year we're not going to be able to do it. But what we did was, you know, we look, we we booked a, a vacation. We're going to be away from everybody, mm. but this is what we're going to do. So it kind of takes their mind off of, you know, the Halloween. My daughter's 17 now. So, you know, Halloween isn't as important to her. And my son, he's seven. He don't really have a sense of time. So we don't know if it's Halloween unless you tell him. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, uh, we're just going to go out and celebrate that way. As far as Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we will get through this one so we can experience it next year. God willing mm. and Christmas and things like that, you know, we can, you know, we just celebrate amongst ourselves and we do a lot of FaceTiming and, you know, just video conferencing with uh with families. Even my family reunion this past year was on a Zoom conference. So, mm. you know, it's just, you're just learning to adjust to it, man. You know, we just want to come out on the, on, a, on the bright side of this
0: thing. For real. Well, super, super, <laughs> super. Thank you so much, brother, for coming on the show, man. This has been a great, great, great conversation. I learned a lot, you know. Thank you, man. Crazy enough, you. enough, as much as, as long as I've known you and been knowing your music, I think this is the first time we've Formerly done an interview,
1: right? Yeah, it has. Man. Yeah, it has. so this
0: was this was great, man. I appreciate.
1: And a it. lot of people don't know a lot about my life. Like I'll post some pictures of my family, but I'm real. Like outside of that, I'm really private, and a lot of people don't know a lot of things that have you know just that I've been through and I've experienced. And like I said, I'm working on a book that's um you know just trying to work it out right now i realize with writing a book you just gotta you gotta write it all out and then you gotta edit it and figure out which direction you want to go but yeah i think you know a lot of people will learn more once i you know finally finish this book and get it out but it's great to share these stories with you man you've got some stories and some some things that probably people <laughs> in my family and my friends don't even know but at the end of the day i'm getting older and i feel it's important that my story be told you know Absolutely. because every people can can you know as parents and as as people overall we could just you can gain a lot of knowledge and insight from hearing other people's stories as well too so absolutely
0: absolutely brother well thank you man and best of everything to the family and um I'll, i'm looking forward to what you got coming next the book music hopefully and, yes sir um, thank and um you know uh, if you if you had to plug one if, if you might have some new listeners after this mm-hmm. if there's one song they need to go out and listen to right now what is it
1: Mm, i would probably say that would be fountain of youth that seems to be the one song that pulls in more people than ever in my career and it's about you know about feeling sometimes just feeling too old for your current situation and things have changed so i would say you know fountain of youth or i would say start at sacrifice the, the you know the project that i put out and work your way backwards because if you can listen to Sacrifice and you can relate to my story, then you'll probably enjoy the rest of my music as well, too. So, But I appreciate that, man. Blessings to you and your family as well. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and finally be able to to talk to you, man. I, I, I see you on TV and I'll be telling my family like, Oh, you know, I know that guy, man. He's really, <laughs> Oh so, man. man. I'm
0: so proud of you, bro. I am uh, so proud of you. Thank you, man. appreciate it. Thank you. If you're enjoying fathers who bother, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at fathers who bother and Twitter at fathers who be. Thanks.